calendar. Make sure that you are here and you are, you are inviting other people to come. It's going to be a great blowout time in the Lord. Praise the Lord. Brother Zach, don't sit down, brother. Come on to it. Amen. Good to have you back. Good to be back. Um, real quick, also, before we get started with the message, uh, we did some painting yesterday in the fellowship hall. We painted the top half of the walls. And so next week, um, thanks to TJ and John, Danielle and I, and then Derek brought some stuff for us to, to help out with. Wide brushes are way better, or wide rollers, than the little bitty rollers. Man, we were covering some ground. It was great. Uh, so next week, if you would like to help out with doing some other things, we're going to get the bottom half of the church, and then we're hoping to do the, uh, hopefully we can do the, the ceiling. We'll see how that works out, but Dyes hooked us up with, hopefully we can get that sprayer going. That'd be really good, and then we can really cover some areas. So we're trying to make that look really good before the Kingdom Legacy Conference that we're going to have at the end of October. So we're trying to make that area look really nice so that as we do the banquet for the conference, it looks awesome. And then other things from there on out, it looks really great. We can have a nice neutral palette to where when we have different functions, it doesn't clash so much with different colors and stuff. So we're trying to make it look a little bit better in there. And so that's part of the process that we're, uh, we're going through. So we got the top half done uh, yesterday. It looks really great. And then we're going to start uh, painting out the trim the doors, finish out the doors and things like that too. So it's going to look really good. We're very excited about getting that looked, looking really well. So again, if you want to help out, we're going to come at 10 a.m. on Saturday. Uh, we'll be right in there and we'll do some work in there. So really excited about that. Um, and again, just a, another note hitting on that, uh, the Kingdom Legacy Conference. We're very excited to have lots of great friends in the ministry come in town and to celebrate what the Lord's been doing. Um, in the Popper Bluff area, in the ministry in general, lots of different missionaries and people who have done great work for the kingdom. And so we're excited to have all the different guests. Uh, of course, Dr. Garland Bilbo is going to be one of the keynotes. And then uh, Pastor Eliezer Hernandez, he's also going to be one of the ones speaking, and then Dad's going to speak. So we have a couple, uh, a couple really good sessions kind of planned out for us, and we'll have, of course, worship during those moments. And so it's a good time to connect, see familiar faces, be excited about what the Lord is doing in, uh, in each of those ministries. So today, what I wanted to do is I wanted to talk about a topic. Uh, it's called Water is Life. If you want to go ahead and click. Yeah, there we go. Water is Life. This was, uh, I just wanted to give a little recap. Uh, many of you guys know I was in Rwanda, Africa uh, last week. I left, uh, left a, on Monday, flew out. It was a, like a 30-hour travel day of <laughs> going through a day and a half of of flying, connecting flights. Uh, I actually had, uh, I called Danielle as soon as I got to the airport because I got to my gate. I was ready to go. We were all in line getting ready to board. And they shut the doors, and then I got a notification on my phone. I looked and said, my flight's being canceled. That's weird. I looked over at a couple other people, and a couple other people started pulling out their phones around me. I went, uh-oh, that's not good. <laughs> and theirs also read that it was canceled, and some people were asking questions. They're like, oh, no, it's just the system's just messed up. It's okay. Everything should be fine. So we're standing in line, ready to go. And uh, the lady came over the intercom and said, hey, due to some weather that's going on in New York, we're going to have to cancel this flight. We have another flight going out in the, later in this afternoon, but there's only a few spots left. And as soon as she said there's only a few spots left, a mass exodus from that line went over to the front desk. I was probably 13 or 14 people back. Um, kind of waiting in line to figure out, am I going to have a ticket? Uh, my first flight to get to Rwanda has been canceled. So we'll see. So I'm waiting in line. I'm sitting there. I'm kind of nervous. Like, okay, Lord, you're going to have to do something because if they only have a couple seats left, there's no way I'm getting on this flight being about 15 people back. And I got a notification that United rerouted my, uh, my trip to go from St. Louis to Chicago and then straight to Brussels from there. So I was able to make that flight was able to go, no complications, got to Chicago here. I got to practice my, uh, my ancient days of, of track athlete um, times, and so I had to run from one gate to another a couple times. So I have my guitar, I'm running in the, in the, in the, in the terminals and stuff, taking off. So I was that crazy guy with, uh, with luggage taking off everywhere. So I was able to get to Chicago, and then from Chicago, I was able to fly to Brussels, and that's where I met the team. Uh, really fun. I did not know anyone except for one person. There was only one person I actually knew that was going on the trip with us. Everyone else was from uh, a couple different ministries in the southeast Texas area. 
And so it was, it was really fun. The, the lady that I knew, we do some teaching for the cohort that we've been doing for the uh, pastors in Rwanda. And uh, we graduated seminary together. So it's been fun um, getting to, to hang out a little bit more and get to know what's, what the Lord's doing in her life and her ministry. And then all the other people there were phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. We really fit in uh, very well together, did a lot of great ministry. And so what I wanted to do is kind of give you a recap of what we were able to experience whenever I was there. Uh, the things that the Lord did while while we were in attendance, and then uh, and then if we have some time, I'll share a couple things after that um, about what the Lord was doing outside of that too. So let's go to the first picture. I made sure to, to include some pictures. I'm hoping to do a uh, do a, a video, create a video about kind of the experience to kind of give a little better recap. But um, this was uh, at one of the villages. So the first day that we got there, we actually went to a village. And we got to hang out. There's uh, one of our, our contacts there. His name is Bosco. Bosco is one of the most connected human beings I've ever met in my life. I mean, if you went anywhere in Rwanda, this guy was known by at least four people that were that were in that area. And so he's known all throughout the nation. And so they've started a really great mission work in this uh, in this little city uh, or this little town, excuse me. And uh, and they've had no water no running water in their entire village. They didn't have any, any roads, not even dirt roads. It was all just like moving through trees and different things like that. They had no way of, of really managing through uh, any kind of commerce. They didn't have much money even flowing through that area. Um, if you're unfamiliar with much of Rwanda in 1994, really in 1959, they experienced some pretty harsh attacks that happened in the nation. And then in 1994, it was a, a horrendous genocide that swept through the nation as they, it was actually infiltrated a lot by the German thinking. There were some German leaders that came in and they used some of the same tactics to separate people groups as they did with the Jews and the, and the Germans whenever they started to, I don't know if you guys are familiar, they started measuring the distance between your forehead and your nose and they started doing certain things like that to find out if you were more alien-esque or if you were more humanoid. And so it was very demonic in the way that they would separate people groups. And then so they made one group of individuals feel as if though they were enslaved to the rich. So really they took the middle class and told them that they should not be suppressed by those who were, um, who, who had a little bit more money than they did. And so they started really separating people groups from there. And then they trained them up to go. And then the government actually sent out a whole notice and said, go ahead and kill your neighbors if they're, um, if they're Tutsis. They're called the Tutsis and the Hutu. The Hutu tribe was the one who uh, afflicted much of the, of the oppression upon the Tutsis. And there was the first 30 days, they said is about 250,000 people were murdered viciously, just neighbor, on, neighbor upon neighbor, family member upon family member, friend upon friend. And then w within the year to year and a half, it was, uh, it was another 800,000 or so. Who were, who were horribly massacred in the streets and, and their homes and different places. So, so this was one of the, the places that was pretty, uh, pretty affected by a lot of those, those horrible massacres. And so they're doing a lot of mission work here. And so they do a lot of things with the kids. They take them off the streets. Uh, they built a facility there where they can do a lot of mission work. They teach the kids. They, give, they have a feeding program that's around there too. So they're able to feed the students. Um, they actually have girls that they bring in who are more of the teen teen age and they're preventing teen pregnancy by taking them off of the streets to where they're not just roaming around and uh and susceptible to people being able to come around and do highly inappropriate things and so what they're doing is they're they're teaching them skills and trades so that they can make money and they can also help facilitate things for their village and then they can also be preoccupied with learning and not just wandering around um with any of the kids or anything like that and so they're teaching them that and they're also providing feminine products as they're growing into the next stage and phase of their life and teaching them how to how to kind of navigate through that really um, confusing time uh, in, in women's lives. And so they're kind of training them up and they have other ladies who have these great skills and they're teaching them great things. So these are some of the kids, a part of the village that, um, that we were able to meet. You can go to the next slide, please. And uh, the thing that we did right before we went to the village is we got to meet the mayor. He's the, the, the one who's over the, the governmental facility of that village and that region. They call them sectors. So he's the one who's over the sector. And he's a believer. So we got to meet with him. We got to listen to his heart and the things that the Lord has been doing in his heart and his vision for, uh, for his sector. And then we got to pray with him. So you're seeing we all gathered around. We stood and we prayed with him. Um, and then you can go to the next slide if you would. And so this was the facility where you saw the kids. Um, 
in the video that I'm going to make, I actually recorded some, some footage. They were all standing and singing and clapping and praising the Lord in the middle of it. It was one of the most beautiful sounds that you'd ever hear. Uh, it's just gorgeous. And then they all, all had great things that they would tell you. Like they have affirmations that they would say, I am smart, I am smart, I am smart. I have value, I have value, I have value. And then they, so they have these different sayings that they would have throughout the day. And then as you go to the next slide, uh, you see that they feed them. This is porridge that they're able to give the kids. And so they're able to provide them with some food for the, for the, uh, the afternoon. And so we were able to grab and hand out the food to the kids. And they were, I mean, some of the most respectful kids that you've ever met. They were very, very excited to get it. And they all said, thank you. They were all very appreciative. It was, it was beautiful to, uh, to see. And so they have a great um, education facility. The, the way that they, they view their ministries, they put it in what they called quesh. Q for quality education. E is for economic sustainability. The S is for spiritual growth. And the H is for health. So they have those as their, as their kind of standards for the ministry. Quality education, economic fulfillment, sustainability, uh, spiritual growth, and then health for the, for the community. And so this is how they're, they're driving much of their stuff. You can go to the next slide. Yeah, there are the kids again. You can go to the next one for me. And so one of the things that they did was they, uh, they dug a well, and it took, a, it took quite a bit of money. I think it was like $13,000 to get all the way down to the spot they needed to to unearth the, the, uh, the, the water, uh, to tap into the water, excuse me, and then to create the well. So you can go to the next one. And so now, instead of them having to hike five to ten miles away to the next community to actually get water and then transport those five-gallon uh, jugs back to their homes— um, much, many times they, they just walked because they didn't have other means of transportation. Now they have a well inside their village to where they can go to just steps and steps away from where they're at. And so they were all very excited. One of the things that um, you can see, one of the ladies who's, she's in kind of that, uh, that, that neon vest. Um, she's the one that oversees the operations of the, of the quality of the water. And so she came in and, and from the very beginning, from the first words that she opened her mouth, she said, water is life. Where there is water, there is life. And then John 4 immediately popped up into my mind where, where Jesus was meeting with the Samaritan woman at the well. And he said, if you only knew who you were sitting in front of, who was right in front of you, you would know that he would provide you with rivers of living water. And so this was the first thing that they wanted to do is they wanted to provide a means of physical water so that they can have life sustained and then they can introduce them to the spiritual aspect of what it means to have life in Christ because water is life. Where there's water, there is life. And so this was, uh, this was them filling up. You see some more pictures right there of them filling up stuff in, uh, in their jugs. They have these all over the community. You can see these jugs as they have bikes or they're carrying them on their shoulders or, or anything like that. And so uh, it was beautiful to be able to see. You see the well back there, the brick facility. So they have a guy, he actually runs and operates. His sole job by the government is to stand there and to make sure that the water is operating correctly and that they have all the mechanics doing what it needs to and, uh, and helping people in that process. And so there's the mayor again. He's standing up and he's uh, praying a prayer of blessing over the well as we dedicated the well um, to the Lord and, and for the usage of the gospel and to the sustainability of life for the community. You can go to the next one. And then we got to have a uh, we had to have a service with the with the village that night. Thirty people gave their lives to Jesus that night as uh, as the gospel was was preached. And so this was during one of the portions of dancing. Uh, we had a really big, <laughs> a really big kind of kind of like a conga line. We were all just going crazy all together and dancing with one another. You can go to the next slide. Um, and then this is inside their mission house. So this is some of the uh, these are some of the ladies that they actually make a lot of the material. Um, whether they're mats, their rugs, um, their shirts, even hats and things like that. They actually stitch and, and do all the things they need to and then teach other girls how to do this so that they can sell that to make commerce from the city and bring it back to the village to sustain more things there. And so they're doing a lot. They're actually building a hostel right now where they can, I think, house, I think it's 24 um, people. So they're going to have eight bunk beds. Oh, sorry, four bunk beds per room. So they'll fit eight people per room in each of those spots. And so they'll be able to have 24 different individuals that can stay within the hostel whenever they need to come as they're getting things prepared and, and created. And, uh, and so this was the, actually, this is really awesome. The mayor stood up in the middle of the, of the message. They introduced the mayor, wanted him to say a few words. He got up and said, listen, we have water now. You have no excuse for your kids to be dirty. 
he was, he was getting it. He was getting after. He said, you have no excuse for your kids to be running around and being dirty and not taking care of them. He said, you think that it's too expensive to take care of your kids, but the majority of you guys are out getting drunk and have enough money for alcohol every single night to go to the bars. You need to get it together. Be fathers who are present. We're all sitting there going, whoa, all right, get it, bro. He's killing it right now. My goodness. So he was letting them know, you guys need to do this. He also said, you guys are all living together without having proper marriage certificates. He's like, you need to be married if you're going to be in the house together. We will have a mass marriage ceremony. As the governor, I will bring the flag because you have to have a flag present and you have to have all the documentation. He's like, I'm bringing all the documentation. We're bringing the flag of Rwanda and I'm standing here. And we're going to have a massive ceremony and we're getting all you guys married. You guys need to be one with each other in the midst of the assembly of the people. And so... He did that, and then, uh, then he said, this is the pastor of the, of the, of the village mission work right there, um, Pastor Emmanuel. And so he was, he was over there, too, and he was like, and I will do the premarital counseling and the postmarital counseling and all the counseling that's needed. So they, they gathered together and let everybody know, hey, there's some things that you guys are doing that's not benefiting the family. And so they are really big proponents of if your family is in disarray, then you're not going to be able to really do great things for your community. And so they were driving home the point of if we're going to talk about kingdom and kingdom impact, we need to also talk about what the method of the family is. So th- it was it was awesome. We just sat there. We we're like, man, we don't have to preach. These guys are just laying the law right now. This is wonderful. So you can go to the next slide. Uh, so this is Bosco. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Um, that's one of the kids. He was really cute. About We have like 75 pictures of, of that kid running around, another one in some boots. That's just really nice. Um, yeah. So that's uh, one of the meals that they prepared for us. Uh, it's great. They, they actually did that from the village. They, uh, they had some chickens, and so they, uh, they killed some chickens, made some plantains. Um, they had some really hot sauce, really good hot sauce there, too. We can go on from there. I can talk about their food for a long time. It's delicious, too. Uh, that's Bosco. Bosco, the most connected man in Rwanda. Um, he, I call him the not-so-secret agent for the kingdom. He, uh, he knows everyone from the most influential ministers to some of the, the, the most influential people in the different villages. He knows people within the governmental uh, uh, realms. He is, he is a very connected man for the kingdom, and he's the one that's helping oversee the operations of the missions movement. He also owns a concrete, Nick, he owns a concrete uh, business. And he does a lot of concrete work and things like that. And so he believes this is, I love his thought process because he said this. He said, missions is very interesting. He's like, if we were looking to be sustained by donations, our work would never be accomplished. We would never accomplish the things that we would need to. Because some days, some months, you might get a nice donation of some pretty good stuff. And it's amazing. But the next month, you may get nothing. He said, so if I'm looking to be sustained in the ministry by donations, then I will gravely miss what the Lord is actually wanting to do in our facilities. He said, so he uses a lot of the profit from his business. He pours back into there because he said this, my business is a method of sustainability that I can consistently see what the Lord is doing here and we can allocate money for our operations and what we need. And so he is a kingdom businessman who looks to use the, the, the funding that he gets from the blessing of his business. And the Lord is has greatly blessed him and his family and the things that he's been able to do. Him and his two other brothers, his two younger brothers, actually run and operate all the things for the mission for the mission work and then also for their businesses. So they combine their efforts together to do kingdom business and then also impact their communities for the gospel. And so him and his wife were, uh, were with us all week that we were there. Oh, I'm actually in that picture. Look at that. I look very big as that picture stretched out. How dare that program stretch my picture out? I'm not that large. So let's... Let's move on to the next picture. That's the, that was the view of Kigali from, uh, from the window that, we were, that, that I was staying at. So you can see they call it the land of a thousand hills. The land of a thousand hills. Beautiful, beautiful as we looked out the window there. So you can go to the next picture. And so the, at the day after we went to the village, uh, we were able to start. We were doing a worship conference called the Priesthood Conference. Uh, for a lot of worship pastors and, and pastors in, in the area. And so this was the first church that we went to. <laughs> Dad mentioned that we got into some controversy when we were over there. This was the first church that we went to, and we got canceled by a lot of churches after this that we were with. Uh, there was a lady on the trip that she had a, uh, she brought, she does a lot of flag ministry, so she dances with flags and things like that. And she had a tie-dye flag. It didn't have all the colors of the rainbow, a few of them, but because she had that tie-dye flag, 
um, there was a journalist who was in the congregation, took a picture of it and put it on TikTok and made a whole thing saying that the Pentecostal church brought in some white people who were spreading LGBTQIA uh, theology. And so that went and spread like wildfire in Rwanda. And then the next morning we found out it wasn't just about 200,000 people that saw that. It moved up to about 4 million people who saw that. And then it moved from all of Southeast Africa, because it didn't just go to Rwanda, it went all throughout Southeast Africa, all the way up to the UK, and then even over into to, to Asia, into Western Asia. And so there was some, uh, some pretty hefty um, misinformation that was spread about the intentionality of what we were doing there. And, uh, and so we, we love people who are, who are in, in that community, but we do not support the thought process that we can switch genders and, and many things like that. And so we believe in the promise from Genesis that man and woman were created and it was to be uh, builders of family as, as they were given the, the opportunity to say to be fruitful and multiply. And so um, it, was, it was pretty contentious. The, so the interesting thing about what happened in Rwanda and the reason why I think this is important is because whenever, um, whenever the French came and settled after things happened in Rwanda, the, the, the genocide and stuff, um, the way that they taught the education system is just to listen to what the instructor says, you just write it down, and you can plagiarize. Like, plagiarism is like a thing. You can just do that, as long as you're just giving the same information that the instructor gave. And so they, didn't, they don't teach learning. They don't facilitate learning in much of their education system. And so whenever we came in, we, uh, in, in the program that I'm a part of, we start to ask them questions and, and are like, hey, we need to think about what you're actually believing. Why is it that you believe what you believe and where is it found in scripture? And so many of them have been just taught that this is the ideology of Western America. The, when one of my friends, Jess, the one who graduated with me, when she first went to Rwanda in 2008, nine, um, she preached one day and whenever she got off the stage, the pastor stood up and said, let us thank God that there is one Christian in America. Think about that. That's, that's the things that they're being taught about Western ideologies and Western thought is that they're getting all the, all the movies, they're getting all the TV shows, and they're getting different things about what the news spreads about what's going on in America. And so they thought that Jessica was the only Christian from America, and she came to Rwanda to come and to, and to preach and to teach. And so whenever they saw that tie-dye flag being waved, they automatically thought, because of all the things that are happening in our nation right now, that these people are a part of that move, and that's what's happening. And so it was actually a blessing in disguise because of the last night that we were there, um, the guy who was the, kind of the lead, the lead guy from our, our mission, um, him and one of the other, uh, the older pastors were able to go on the news, which reaches about 40 million people, and they were able to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ what the family unit was supposed to be made for and the promise that was given to Noah backing up the covenant from, from Adam and Eve. And so they were able to teach everyone what it meant to be kingdom family and not just to think about some kind of Western ideology. So we were actually supposed to be on the Sunday night, we were supposed to be at, a, at the biggest convention center that they have in the nation. And uh, we were supposed to lead worship for 13,000 people and preach that night. And they canceled us because of, because of that, that one service. They canceled us from coming. Um, but still the message was able to be preached out to 40 million and not just 13,000 people. And so we were like, man, the Lord moves in very, very mysterious ways because that is not how we would have thought that whole entire week would have gone. But we were able to, to minister to people in a much greater capacity than we were just the original Sunday night. And so we were also able to go to the, the, um, the Rwandan genocide memorial, and I just cried the entire time I was there, just you get to see and read all the different stories of people as they encountered things. Um, you get to see uh, footage of things that were taken during the genocide itself. And, uh, and it, I mean, it, that just, that marked me. That was extremely impactful. Um, the word that's behind me, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it means to remember, um, to not forget, and to, and to keep in reflection. And it's, uh, they have the big number 29. They add a number to it every single year. So it's been 29 years since the genocide happened. So they'll make an, a 30 um, at the at the turn of the uh, uh, at the turn of the date that, that it had actually occurred. So um, those were just a couple of the team team members that came with us 
on the trip. And uh, so we took a picture in front of it so that we can remember what, uh, what we had seen. So you can go to the next slide. So it was, uh, it was really great being able to go over there. Actually, one of the guys, I'll tell a story about after the, the genocide memorial, about some time that we had outside there. But because we were canceled in, uh, in some of the churches, uh, Bosco took us to his church, his home church. And uh, just so happened they've been in the middle of a seven-day fast, fasting and prayer for God to move in their, in their nation, in their city, and in the, the big C church. And so they were really wanting to see more moves of the Holy Spirit where they can encounter healing in, uh, in their services and they could see people healed. They have a hospital that the church actually owns. They built so that people can come to, but it's Christian-based. And so they, they believe in Christian-based uh, science to where everyone who works in there, they're believers, and they could, they'll pray with you and do all those things too. And so they have a hospital there, part of the church, and they also have a, a school of theology. So they have multiple things that they do, and they say, we don't just want to have a hospital, we want to be able to pray for the sick and they recover. And so they're really fasting and praying for this. So we walked in, he had no clue that we were as big of a group as we were, and that we were even really coming. Um, usually he has one of his uh, staff would answer the phone for him and um, and take care of his, his appointments and things like that. They have a lot of stuff that's really busy. And he just so happened to have his phone there when Bosco called him and said, hey, I have the team. We'd love to come and meet with you. And he said, yeah, sure, come on. We went in there and we spent two hours praying and prophesying over him and his wife um, about the things that we all saw. We didn't know anything about this man, about his wife, about what they've been encountering or experiencing. And every single thing that was said by, by each one of our team members really hit the nail on the head. And, uh, and they cried. It was, it was a beautiful time um, just being with one another. Just the presence of the Holy Spirit was so thick. I sat down in the chair and just immediately started just crying in the middle of it just because the presence of God was so sweet. And so we were able to visit um, with them. I think I have another picture of that. You can go to the next one. Yeah, that's the pastor and his wife um, in the background right there. Beautiful, beautiful people. They spent some time studying the States uh, for their undergrad and their doctorate. He actually has a doctorate from Gordon-Conwell University and uh, in, in theology, and so he's a very learned man, very bright. She's a powerful intercessor, and so they're just a, a great team. You can go to the next slide. So Derek, this is Derek. This is Bosco's little brother. Uh, Derek, um, Bosco, Emmy, the middle son, and Derek, the three of them were, were students of mine in the program, actually still in one of my classes. And uh, Derek was sharing with us after the genocide memorial how their dad was a judge at the time of the genocide, when the genocide first started. The first people that they decided that they wanted to get rid of were high-ranking governmental officials who would have opposed the regime that they're getting ready to, to pull into by afflicting that horrible, um, the horrible genocide that happened. And so the first people they wanted to get rid of were high-ranking governmental f uh, officials. And their dad was a high-ranking judge. He was like top two or three on their list of people to actually murder. And he was able to escape before they were, they were able to get a hold of him. And he went to Uganda where he had, um, where him and his wife had their, the three boys. And Derek said that whenever they were returning about a year after the genocide had happened, uh, they asked their dad, where are we going? And he said, we are going to the land of milk and honey. And they were like, whoa, that's cool. And they're like, he said he was like six at the time, five or six. And whenever they came back, he said they all cried. Because they were like, where did you bring us to? This is not a land of milk and honey. This is horrible. And if you read reports, the smell of death was in the city or was in the nation for like a year to two years after the genocide happened because of the amount of people that were, that were murdered and not cleared out or anything like that. And so they were like, this is a horrible place. Why did you bring us here? This is, this is awful. And he said, all these years later, his dad on his deathbed in 2021 he turned to Derek and said, can you see it? Do you see it? This is the land of milk and honey. And that, that statement stood with me for the rest of the trip. And there was a time on Friday night when we went to their church, Pastor Charles Church. Um, I saw him on the stage at the very end of service. I mean, we had a powerful service. Oh my goodness. We had 100% of the people that we prayed for were healed. Um, not just with our people, but with their their pastoral staff, we were praying, everyone got healed. Um, there was powerful impartation that happened. I looked at him on the stage and I just, I heard that phrase again. Do you see it? This is the land of milk and honey. Do you see it? This is the land of milk and honey. And I was like, oh, I'll just tell him later. The music is so loud. There's so much stuff going on right now. It's just, I don't think it would be very impactful. 
And uh, so I just went back to worshiping and raised my hands. We were jumping and singing. It was a great time. And then he moved closer to the, sta- to the drums. So they were set up similar to this, um, except for the stage was a lot bigger. But he went from being like on the right-hand side to now over by the drums. And we were sitting over here on the left. And then the Holy Spirit say, go now. Go now and tell him. Okay, I'm going to be obedient. So I just I ran up on the stage. I went up to him and I tapped him on the chest. And he looked at me. <laughs> I was like, do you see it? He goes, what? I said, I feel like the Holy Spirit's asking you the question, do you see it? He's like, do I see what? I said, this is the land of milk and honey. And then he started getting tears in his eyes. And then I just started sitting there and prophesying over him as far as what the things that his dad planted in his heart and in his brother's hearts for what was going to happen, that this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit pouring out in, in their community, in their nation, in their church, that this is the thing that he was saying that it's not just seeing it now, but it's tasting and seeing what the Lord has done and what he can do, and then just share it with those who are around. And he crumpled, and then I, I sat there and I, I prophesied over him for a little bit longer about what I felt like the Lord was doing in his heart. And, uh, and he just wailed and cried and cried. And then we got up and we moved over to the side and he said, you don't understand what just happened in that moment. He said, I've been very hesitant to move into ministry. I know I've been called into ministry, but I've been extremely hesitant. He said, my wife the night before took oil and anointed my head and said, the Lord is going to do something that's going to impact you and unlock whatever it is that's inside you to move into the next part of, of what you're called into. And he said, and then I was getting ready to get off the stage because I was so <laughs> I was so berated with noise because the stage was so loud. He said, it was so berated with noise. I was ready to get down. He's like, I wasn't translating. I wasn't singing. I wasn't doing anything. I was just awkwardly standing there. He said, so I tried to inch my way over. And as soon as I got to the drums, the Holy Spirit said, don't move. And he was like, but this is so loud. I want to get down off the stage. And the Holy Spirit said, don't go anywhere. And he said, as soon as I said, okay, I'm going to stay, you walked up on the stairs and came and prayed for me. And he said that once you opened up your mouth and said, taste and see, it's as if whatever hindrance was inside was unlocked and unleashed. And he said, and now I can understand that that this was my moment of commissioning, that the Holy Spirit is calling me into ministry and that I'm going to walk into the things that he's asked me to do. And I'm going to step out in faith in what he's called our family to move into, to, to introduce people to the Holy Spirit in these ways. And so it, that was a really impactful moment for me to sit there and listen to him and his story and the things that God has done. He's a bright, 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 bright guy, really, really smart. So I'm, I'm excited to see what the Lord is doing um, in his heart and in his brothers. You can go to the next slide. Um, that's just a funny, it's kind of stretched out weird, but we took motor motorcycles to one of the places we ate. And so they took a picture of us getting off the motorcycles. Instead of having taxis, they, they call them motor taxis. And so you just hop on a motorcycle with someone, they give you a helmet and you take off. So, I mean, it may seem a little sketchy, but we did that. So here I am, I'm still standing here. So it was, it was great. This was the service on Friday night though, that we had, um, you can see just a little side angle shot of, of where we were at as, as many people were praying to the lines. I'm on the complete opposite side, um, praying for people. There were lines and lines and lines of people coming to give minister to. Um, after Pastor Charles kind of gave a, a, a message on healing, he asked the whole team to come up. And so we stood up and then we gave uh, words of knowledge. I had one lady who came up. Um, one of my buddies actually had a word of knowledge for pain in the hip all the way down to the leg. And so I prayed for this one lady. Um, you can see her legs were swollen all the way up her leg. So I was able to pray with her. Nothing happened. I prayed with her a little longer. Nothing happened again. And then she said, wait, hold on. Like, it's like it moved to like the back of my knee. I was like, oh, okay, we got some, we got something here. Like, well, let me pray again. So I went to the back and I started binding and loosing the things that, uh, the infirmity that was on her body and the things that had attached. And bam, she jumped up and she was like, whoa! And she started like high-stepping everywhere and like running around. So she gave a testimony of that later on. And then I had a word of knowledge about um, someone who had pain in their, in their upper neck and they had headaches because of that too. And so I had like four or five people in a row that every single one of them had a noticeable difference. Like their eyes shot up after I prayed. And usually it took about two to three times of praying for them and then something would happen. And then I went down off the stairs and I started just walking around just laying hands on different people who were just coming up just to receive prayer. And then there's one guy um, specifically, I think I might have a picture. You can go to the next one. I can't remember if it was, no, that's just, yeah, right there. That's the one. Um, so this guy, he, uh, he pulls me to the side as I'm walking over and he goes, hey, you had the word of knowledge about, about pain in the neck and in the head. I was like, yeah, that was me. He goes, I cannot remember a time where I have not had pain in my neck 
and having constant migraines that would just come and go and come and go and come and go. He was like, I, would, I really would love some prayer. He's like, I believe that Jesus can do great things, and so I, I would like some prayer. So I prayed for him at first, and then I uh, asked him, how do you feel? He was like, it's the same, and if nothing happens, I still believe that Jesus is my healer and that he could heal me after, you know, later on it could be progressive and all that stuff. I was like, that's, yeah, I believe that too, but let's pray again. Let's just pray. So we prayed again, and he was like, yeah, I, just, I believe that the Lord can do, can do things later on, and it's great, and it's wonderful. I was like, do you feel just a little bit better? He was like, ah. I was like, be honest with me. Don't, like, you're not going to hurt my feelings if nothing happens. He's like, yeah, I don't really feel much. I was like, well, can I pray just one more time? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can pray as many times as you want to. That's fine. So I laid my hands on the back of his neck, and I prayed one more time. And I, I scooted back, and I said, test it out. See, see what you feel. And he goes like this. He just moves back and forth. He goes up and down. He gives me a huge, that, they caught that moment right there where he gave me a huge hug. And then he crumpled and just wept and wept and wept and wept and wept. I cannot believe that the Lord cared enough for me that he would heal me today. I cannot believe that the Lord cared enough for me that he would heal me today. Just over and over and over and over and over. And we just, we cried together. I, it, that, that just, that punched me in the gut. It was really, I mean, I, I was like a little kid every time something would happen because I know it's not me that's making people get healed. It's not me at all. It's like, so I get to witness the Holy Spirit moving in people's lives in those moments. And so that was, uh, that was really special to see that. Um, one of the guys was looking next to me as, as I was praying, as he did that, and we were both jumping up and down, just excited that he got healed because he said that he could not remember a time where his neck did not hurt for years and years and years and years. And so that was, that was a really special testimony of what God did in him. Um, go ahead and go to the next one. And so this is, this is our team. You can see the majority of our team sitting back there. There were 12 of us, um, really powerful, powerful ministers, could all play instruments for the most part with the exception of a few. Um, and so it was, a, it was a really, really impactful time. I'm, I was very happy that I was able to join up with each person. Nobody cared if they were gonna be the person on stage or if they're gonna be just hanging out on the side. That was a beautiful thing about that trip too, is that everyone preferred each other Everyone was excited that the other person was getting to do something. Nobody had an ego about themselves. No one felt like they were the most gifted or anointed or, you know, powerful person that was on the trip. And so there was a lot of honor between each person on that. And uh, I think that was a really good representation of family, what true family is supposed to be like, is that you prefer one another, that you want each person to grow and to develop and to do whatever it is that the Lord had placed on their hearts. And so if you see that the Holy Spirit is shining on them, certain things in that moment, you say, dude, this is... The Holy Spirit's calling you out right now. Let's go. I'm, and I'm here to support you in whatever means and way that you've asked us to. And so uh, this was a great group of individuals. I, I've, I've grown to, to really enjoy them. And I, I think that I'll be really tight with them for years and years and years to come. You can go to the next one. Uh, we had some just beautiful times of worship with one another as we were going through. You, I'm in the light shirt on the left-hand side. Um, I did a lot of sweating because I've not danced that much in my life. And so, and so we had a really great time um, up there in dancing. You can go to the next one. And then that was the airline as we were leaving, um, headed to Brussels. You can go to the next one. And we all ended by watching Nacho Libre. Um, so that was, that was the way that we ended, ended our trip, was uh, hanging out in there and watching Nacho Libre with one another. So you can, uh, you can take that back to the uh, Waters Life slide. And so we have just a few minutes left. What I, what I want to do is I, I want to, um, I just want to encourage you guys. This, I, I didn't have a, a huge message plan today. I wanted to give you some recaps of what the Holy Spirit did while we were there. Um, but as powerful as some of those moments were that we had during the services, we had even more powerful moments sitting on the bus, talking with different people, going to different restaurants and just sharing our heart with one another. And so one of the things that I just want to encourage you with is that ministry doesn't just look like standing on a stage. It doesn't just look like, you know, being able to, to sing songs or anything like that. We had plans of going to multiple churches and sharing many, I think each person, so out of all of us, I think we had 20 breakout sessions between all of us that we were supposed to deliver. I was still able to teach. I didn't show one of those pictures because um, I didn't pull it up in time. But, uh, but I still was able to teach some of my students. We were able to meet with one another and I was able to have um, a couple sessions. We did some Q&A. These people were so hungry to know what the word said. So, so, so hungry. 
because um, they haven't been given much of an opportunity to do things. They said that whenever they would open the Bible to teach many times, they would just grab a verse and they would close the Bible and just read that verse and just kind of talk for a long time about their opinion of what was happening instead of actually reading and studying and knowing what the word said about that passage. And so they were so hungry to learn. But even though we were supposed to have about 20 different breakout sessions, we only ended up doing two. Actually, during the first breakout session I was doing with my students, the whole team, instead of breaking out into multiple sessions, they just did one session. And one of the guys who was on the worship team, he had a tattoo right here on his forearm, just a, bit, a little bird that was right there. Um, and it stood for some things about being a songbird in the middle of the night. Um, singing out great things that would bring to life generations. And so it was, had biblical meaning. He had the whole thing about it. But one of the people stood up because they were in a mainline um, Pentecostal denomination. They said, I can't receive from you because you have a tattoo. And this dude brought a fire word. Like they said that it was so good just about the priesthood of the believer. And he said, I can't receive from you because you have a tattoo. And then they gave an explanation, even the leader of uh, the guy who's over all of the churches, he's over 26,000 churches. The main guy for that denomination stood up and even gave explanation um, about different, uh, about differences and different um, ideologies and things like that. And then they stood up, he even asked him, hey, what does this mean? Where did you get this from? He explained it. And the next person that stood up during the Q&A said, that answer didn't, didn't uh, satisfy me. I still can't receive from you. And so these were some of the, the ideas that were warring against at the time of people really looking for ways to be offended instead of looking for ways that they can grow in Christ. Because there's a lot of thought process, a lot of ideas, and a lot of things that I, I could say about tattoos um, that could even ruffle some feathers. So I'll, I'll leave that at that for just another message at another time. But it is, there's a whole lot of misconceptions, I think, that are in the church that people take out of context. But the thing about this is, is that we, even though we met with, were met with a lot of controversy between uh, people thinking that we were supporting LGBTQ ideas to people misunderstanding the things that were happening, even from the, the things on our body. There was one day that we had, ha the first day we were there, we all had hats on as we were coming in because we were told that they were very relaxed and this was gonna be a conference where we were just gonna do a lot of worship. And they said, when you walk into the church doors, you have to take your hat off. And we're like, oh, great. And if you know anything about my hair, um, my hair doesn't do well if it was under a hat and you just take it off and like, oh, okay, cool. Nothing was wrong. No, 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 no. I look like a peacock. Um, it was, it was a beautiful time and I was so happy. I was way far away on the stage, way high up there and you couldn't really see me. So I was just playing the guitar that day. So I was very happy that I didn't have to worry about looking like a peacock in front of everybody a lot closer. And so, uh, so there were ideas and ideologies that we were met with that people were quick to be drawn in offense, but the Holy Spirit was still able to use and maneuver through all those things, knowing full and well what was gonna happen when we got there. And he was still able to impact and influence people in the way that they were supposed to. We never would have dreamed that we would have had one of our team members able to go on national television, reach 40 million people, and talk about the truth of the family unit and what it means to be in the family of God and to be loved by a good father. We thought the most people we were gonna influence was about 13,000 at that last night of that conference, but end up having a reach of 40 million. It was not the way we would have planned it to happen, but that's the way that the Lord opened up. We were able to meet in, in those rooms, in that office with that pastor and encourage him and his wife as they were seeking after a move of God for their people. So it wasn't even about us coming in and, and doing a huge thing because we're so awesome. We were able to encourage the person who was gonna be there, who was gonna pastor these people and go through all this and encourage them in the direction they were supposed to go into for, for what they're seeking after. And he said that when we were there that night, that Friday night, he said that that, that service was about 10 times more powerful than anything that they've experienced before. He's like, next time you guys come, we want you there every single night. <laughs> and so he was excited for what the Lord was doing and the move of the Holy Spirit because he was hungry for that. And so those who were hungry were able to taste and see. And those who were not were, were just ones who was gonna walk by the well. But let me tell you, water is life. Water is life. Where there is water, there is life. And where there is running water, there is the sustainability and there is the opportunity for life. And so when we're connected to the one who is the living water, then we will have the sustainability in whatever circumstance or scenario that we're gonna walk into. The passage that, I, and I'll wrap up with this because I know that we're starting to, to tick on time. 
passage that has been really on my heart a lot lately has been Psalm 23. And it's easy to run through passages that we know very well and to just read it and be like, okay, cool, the Lord is my shepherd and shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures and just go on and on and on and on and on. But if we take the time to stop and to sit and simmer on what it says, the first line has just been gripping me lately. The Lord is my shepherd. I will lack nothing. The NIV says, I will lack nothing. Other versions say, I shall not want. I will not be in want. The Lord is my shepherd. I will lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I will lack nothing. He doesn't start off with, I have to go through the valley of the shadow of death and try not to have fear so that I can get to the shepherd so that I won't have anything that I am in need for. He doesn't say that I have to sit first in, in, at the table in the presence of my enemies and grit my teeth until I get through it, hoping not to hurt anybody who's at that table, and then I can meet my shepherd. He starts the passage with, the Lord is my shepherd. I will lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I will lack nothing. If we catch the revelation of him as a good shepherd, Jesus talks about that in John 10. I am the good shepherd, and my sheep know my voice. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. Why is that? Because first and foremost, if we understand him as our shepherd, where we're not going to lack anything, then we will go into the stillness of these times so that we can recall all the moments, all the things that have happened in our past. This is our salvation story. All the things that we've, that we've encountered, the things that would make us feel like we're less inferior, the things that would make us feel like we, are, uh, we, we have to be full of shame and regret and condemnation. And he takes all those things. And you think about these things because how many guys have ever been by yourself and you're not doing anything and you start thinking about a whole lot of stuff. When there's not a lot of activity, you start thinking. Your mind starts going. It doesn't matter what's going on. This is why people do take substances a lot of times to try to numb that thought to where they don't have to think about anything of, of importance. But whenever you're met in the stillness and the quietness of those times, things start popping up in your mind. I used to do this. This is who I was. I'm so ashamed of this. I don't know if I can ever be forgiven of this. Or I don't know if I can ever forgive this person of that. Those moments start popping. And do you know what he says after he takes you to that moment of quietness and stillness? He restores your soul. Restoration is the first process that we walk into as a believer. It's the first thing we should walk into. This is deliverance of our, of our, of our ideologies, our false ideologies and precepts of who we are and who we have been. And it actually introduces you again to the Lord as your shepherd where you're not going to lack anything. It's not based off of your past or what you've experienced or the things people have done because the Lord is your shepherd and he's not going to bring you into an area of lack. And so when you're restored, then he will lead you in the paths of righteousness, not for your name's sake, not so that you can find your, 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 uh, your identity in your works, but it's for his name's sake. Just like when Paul said, it is my desire that people look at my works and they give God glory. Because if we skip the restoration of our soul, it will always end, our righteousness will always end in pride. Come on, if we are not restored and we don't see God as our good shepherd, then anytime we, good, we do good deeds, it's so that we can have the acclaim for our own name. But whenever you realize the Lord is my shepherd and I'm not going to lack anything, he is the one that I'm doing all these things for. I'm going to be led by his voice. I'm going to be led by the things that he's asking me to so that whenever I walk into those positions and I lay down in the green pastures, I can do this consistently. This is why rest is important for us in the spirit because we can walk through restoration. You cannot have restoration without rest. And so in the moments of rest, you can be restored. And then in the restoration, then you can walk out in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then you can, you can go through the valley of the shadow of death and not fear any evil. Because again, just as a reminder, you are with me. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I will lack nothing. If he leads me through this position of the valley of the shadow of death, guess what? I'm not going to have fear because he's there. His rod and his staff actually comfort me. So his, his correction, his, his voice, his action, his activity is actually comforting to me when he disciplines me. The Bible says that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And so I will walk through a position of joy in the correction of the Holy Spirit, not because I'm going to be shamed, but because I'm going to be brought back into the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Because I have been restored and I'm not going to wander in those positions again. And if I ever get to the point to where I'm kind of moving to the side, he's going to go, er, let's scoot you back on over. Give you a little tap sometimes, let you know, wow, okay, my bad, that, that was me. But I can have joy in that because I know that he's leading me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then after you get through that part, he will actually set a, pa a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I don't know about you, but whenever I, we invite people over at our house, we don't say, okay, you guys come, you're going to do all the cooking, you're going to clean all the dishes, you're going to pay for all the food, you're going to serve me a drink, and then you're going to take care of all the things and then clean the house afterward. Is that how you guys host people at your house? No, typically, if you invite people to come over, you're going to say, hey, we have the food prepared for you. We're going to take care of that. We're going to set the table so that because we know where all the things are at, so we're going to put the, pl the plates in the places. We're actually gonna have the, the, the drinks prepared for you. And then when we're done, we're gonna take it and we're gonna clean the dishes. And we're gonna take care of all those things because we've set the table before you. And so he says, he prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. And so this is something that he very well knew that he was doing in preparing a table, not just for you to sit in, but also for your enemies to sit around as well. But here's the great thing is that I'm not gonna be in a bunch of contention in the middle of that table because I've walked through a position of restoration as I've been seated in green pastures, contemplating in those still waters so that my soul can be what? My soul can be what? So my soul can be restored. That means that whenever I'm sitting in front of people who would be deemed my enemies, I'm not gonna have to have anger and, and strife and I'm not gonna have to sit there and be full of, of bitterness because he's restored my soul. And then he says this, it's beautiful. He anoints my head with oil. In the Old Testament, when your head would be anointed with oil, it wasn't just a little boop. It was a dousing an overwhelming sense of recognizability with that oil. If you look at Jehu, when Jehu was anointed to be king, you guys remember we talked about this a couple months ago, Jehu was anointed to be king, he was anointed and it said that it, the oil ran down his beard. It was very noticeable. Whenever the prophet left and Jehu walked outside of the tent, his soldiers were like, what just happened? Who, who, what, what did he say? Jehu's like, ah, don't worry about it. They're like, no, 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 you are marked specifically what happened. And then he said, I've been anointed to be king, and we're going to go and take the nation. They said, let's ride right now tonight in the middle of the night. So he was anointed noticeably. So he said, I'm going to anoint your head with oil, and your cup will overflow. Cups don't overflow so you can have a messy lap. cups overflow so that you can pour out for other people what has been poured in for you. And so when you're sitting at a table in the presence of your enemies, the Lord will pour out not only enough for you, but now to where you can share in the blessing and the goodness of his grace and his blessing. Anoint your head with oil. Your head is also a place where you think a lot. The oil is a representative of the Holy Spirit. And so he will give you wisdom in the midst of that table on how to do, and it won't just be a little noticeable, it'll be a lot noticeable that the Holy Spirit's presence is alive and active in your life, and then you can pour out what has been given to you. Jessica had a vision as she was, as we were going into, uh, into Rwanda, she sat on the plane, where she had a, a picture of pastors getting bread from heaven and then immediately handing them out, but they looked like they were, they were super skinny, like they were malnourished. They had access to so much bread and they were just giving bread out, giving bread out, giving bread out for all those who were hungry, but they themselves were not satisfied. And the important thing is that we need to be first filled 
with what the Lord is giving us so that we can then pour out from that place. But if we're only giving and we're not receiving, then we will be in lack and then that's when we will get burnt out with what we feel the Holy Spirit's laying on our lives. Anoints our head with oil as our cups overflow. Surely, your goodness and your mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So what is the thing that I won't lack in? Do you remember the very first thing? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. I will not lack anything. This is the lack. This is the thing that you won't lack. His goodness and his mercy. Because let me tell you, many of you guys know this too. Finances come and go. Come on, so we're not talking about prosperity gospel. This is not a get rich quick. Be a Christian and be rich. It's not what I'm talking about. Paul says, I know what it's like to have a little bitty bit, and I know what it's like to have a lot. So this is a process. It doesn't mean that you're going to have an over and abundance of, of finances. Surely your goodness and your mercy will follow me as we lead the Lord as our shepherd. His goodness and his mercy are at our, are at our back, walking and following. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me tell you that my time in Rwanda has is even greater emphasized the necessity of what it looks like to live more selflessly, to be excited about what other people have been called into doing, and to value those little moments just as much as the big ones because the Holy Spirit can move mightily whether you're in the pasture you're by the still waters, you're walking through the valley, you're seated at a table, you're standing on a stage, or you're sitting in a bus. He is just as powerful in those little moments as he is in those big ones. And we have a lot more of those little moments than we do those big ones. Some of you are not called to a stage. Most of us are not called to a stage. Most of us are called to impact and influence at the very place that you're, that you're seated in on a daily basis. Your Monday through Saturday is just as important as your Sunday morning. And it's from those places that we come together and we get to worship. The very first thing that Adam and Eve saw God do was rest. There were six days of God creating stuff. And then once he created Adam and Eve, the seventh day he did what? He rested. The Lord is my shepherd, I will lack nothing. That's the first thing they learned, is I will rest in the one who created all these things. I won't have lack because he's already said it. He's already set the table. He's already known the path. And it is for his namesake that we're able to walk in these things. So let's stand together this morning. I want to give opportunity um, after, after I do a general prayer for anybody who wants to come up and receive some prayer. I um, would love to pray for you and pray with you. But I want to challenge us that, that there, <clears throat> I think there are many times, and I'm learning this too, there have been times where I have not relied on the Lord as my shepherd. Even recently, try, kind of trying to navigate through different things and seeing how I can maneuver through and make a way or make something happen. Um, but let me tell you, it's, it's, it's a lot more difficult and it's a lot more tiresome to do things on your own like that. But if, if we could get really, really great at learning his voice and obeying his voice, man, we're going to see such a greater impact. And we don't have to do near as much in the middle of that. That's awesome. Because I don't have to strive for his love. I don't have to manipulate him so that he can have compassion on me. He loved me before I was even born. And so it can be easy to get distracted with the day-to-day -day operations and forget about what he's called us to do. That's just to rest in him, to rely on him, to hear his voice and to respond. So Father, I thank you so much right now in the name of Jesus for these people. I thank you for a, a, a great opportunity to gather with one another every single week to be encouraged and and uplifted by the, the, the opportunity to sing and be in your presence with, with these people and to, to be encouraged by the testimonies of what you've been doing and what you have done and what you are doing. And Lord, I thank you that you have placed each and every one 
in their specific place of occupation, in their specific households, with the specific people in their houses, the specific opportunities of, of involvement with others in the community. Lord, the different, uh, the different family dynamics that you have given them. And so, Father, I pray that you just give them a fresh revelation of you as their shepherd. Lord, that they will see you as a good shepherd and not one who is manipulative or, or, or harsh or even abusive, Lord, but they would see you as the good shepherd, the one who leads them beside still waters and provides restoration for their souls. So I pray against any kind of tactic or maneuver of the enemy that's trying to thwart their soul from receiving the kind of restoration that's needed. And I just bless them in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that you desire for them to be close with you. I thank you that you desire for them to step out in faith and to do what you've called us to do and to make disciples of, of all of our community and then even the nations. So, Lord, I thank you that you give us the ability to gather and to praise. And thank you that we are not just held in this little room, but that we can go out and that we can display your love for all these other people as well. Lord, that whenever they see us, that they will see and give you glory because of the works that have been done. So thank you, Lord, that you first loved us. And so we can live our life from that position of understanding your love for us. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you glory. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. If you would like some prayer, we'd love to pray with you. We have a few of us up here that will, that will be happy to do that. Otherwise, go have lunch with somebody. Um, and then give God praise for what he's done. Again, don't forget, 10 o'clock Saturday, we're doing some more painting. If you want to be involved with that, we'd love to see you there.